0: what's up what's up bitches welcome back to another episode of positively uncensored your favorite reality tv and interview podcast it's your host leah and welcome back to another episode today is going to be a good one because for everybody anxiously awaiting for britney spears part two going over the woman in me. I'm gonna do that today. I'm not gonna lie, I've been putting it off. And not because Britney's book was not a 10 out of 10, but because I was surprised (laughs) at how much it took out of me to recap the first bit. Um, surprisingly, it took a long time. It took even longer to gather my thoughts. That's why it took me so long to read the book. So I really, really appreciated every single one of you who reached out to me, listened to the episode, loved the episode. Anybody who bought the book who said they weren't even Britney fans and I just made them curious. Thank you so much for taking the time to say that to me. It means the world to me. It keeps me going. And it makes me excited to get back into this. I decided it's November 27th, the day I'm recording. And I this was November Book Club. I got to get with it, be on top of it. I want to finish this before December rolls in. Before we get into the book, let's talk about what books I've selected for December. So there's two books. I mean, I did a big book haul in prep for the month's upcoming, but there's two books that I'm going to be going back and forth with this month, and they're both short and sweet. So first one, which is nonfiction, is Hood Feminism Notes from the Women That a Movement Forgot by Mickey Kendall. Reading the back of the book. Today's feminist movement has a glaring blind spot, and paradoxically, it is women. Mainstream feminists rarely talk about meeting basic needs as a feminist issue, argues Mickey Kendall, but food security, access to quality education, safe neighborhoods, a living wage, and medical care all feminist issues. All too often, however, the focus is not on basic survival for the many, but on increasing privilege for the few. How can we stand in solidarity as a movement, Kendall asks, when there is the distinct likelihood that some women are oppressing others? In her searing collections of essays, Mickey Kendall takes aim at the legitimacy of the modern feminist movement, arguing that it has chronically failed to address the needs of all but a few women, An unforgettable debut, Kendall has written a ferocious clarion call to all would-be feminists to live out the true mandate of the movement in thought and in deed. Let's get into the white feminism. (laughs) Let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Let's acknowledge it. And let's talk about who it forgets. Let's also talk about the sect of women who, you know, claim feminism, but kind of embody misogynistic traits. We're going to talk about all of that in this book. I'm so excited. The other book option is Every Last Secret. This book is fucking good, okay? I just got Hood Feminism in the mail this morning, so I have yet to open it. But Every Last Secret, I'm already on chapter eight. It goes back and forth between the viewpoints of two women. It's Nina and Kat. And there's Kat's married to William Winthorpe a wealthy businessman and it seems like there's some sort of brooding situation between these two women and the book starts with you have to read the prologue the book starts with just a jaw dropping like uh, what that escalated quickly and then chapter one takes us back so you know trigger warning violence gore but this book is good and it's short and it's sweet and oh my god oh and side note hood feminism on sale 50 percent off right now so it's $8.99 instead of $16 or $17 so those are the books for the upcoming month who is this by it is by A.R. Torre. A.R. Torre writes Every Last Secret. You can get it on Amazon. You can go to the bookstore. You can go to your library. You can get it off Kindle. I almost call it Kindle. You can get it off Kindle. Um, probably listen to the audiobook, Whatever works best for you. And Hood Feminism, like I said, on sale 50% off right now. Fuck Cyber Monday, fuck the capitalist agenda. However, I'm hoping that the proceeds that I spent for the book go towards the author and positively benefit her. I can't wait to message her after I've read the book. And you know, I'm always looking to bring authors on the podcast like I've done in the past. It's been a while, but day one fans, Catherine Center interview I did was so, so good. All right, let's get into Britney without further ado. I left off at chapter 15, that much I know, which means y'all, I got through over 90 pages with you. That's pretty impressive. So chapter 15, let's look at the notes. Actually, quick note. So the prior chapter, chapter 15, so what we had talked about was Brittany and Justin's situation. So... We talked about his infidelity, the tabloid's failure to report on that infidelity and really just capitalize and uh, print this story that made Britney look like um, a terrible woman, as Justin says in his song, makes her look like the villain. It was um, her that broke up the family, her that was unfaithful, that used her one-time indiscretion that she was upfront about to Justin as ammo to kind of put all of his indiscretions, multiple, many of them, um, under this rug. What's confusing to me, Britney stans and people who have been in pop culture for a long time, mind you, I was like nine or ten, so I wasn't paying attention to this stuff when it was happening live. But the one thing that confuses me in Britt's book is... How did the tabloids manage to gaslight the country that much with this narrative of Justin when Brittany had mentioned a couple chapters earlier how they had humiliated her in the tabloids so frequently every time they saw him with someone? There was always speculation, is Justin cheating? You know, or him and a picture of him with another woman. So how how did they manage to spin this narrative and forget all of that? it just kind of goes to show before social media was huge as negative as social media is the power of sharing stories and uplifting points of view that are often suppressed by western media that whatever whatever story is wanting to be told that's more salacious and interesting um so it's It's crazy if that story happened now. Everyone on TikTok, everyone on Twitter, everyone on Reddit would be calling out the duality of that and the hypocrisy of him. But back then, no one batted an eye. So Brittany's suffering. You know, she's lost Justin. She ultimately had an at-home abortion that was painful and traumatic, and basically she's she didn't take any time to recover herself so she's trying to get her confidence back while still maintaining on a schedule and making everybody their money so chapter 15 she goes on to a trip with donatella versace and this was the trip that reminded Brittany that there was still fun to be had this was when she was able to have amazing wine food And in the midst of what was a very tumultuous and heavy time for Brittany, this was the one positive memory. In her book, she often describes something positive that she remembers happening in her life and then all of the negativity that surrounds it. So it's interesting to point out that Brittany does maintain this optimist point of view even in the midst of all of the chaos betrayal and sabotage that came on to her but just in case I didn't finish chapter 15 I really don't remember this was a long chapter so I may have saved it Um, chapter 15 as I just said Brittany explains herself that she felt as if no one was on her side she couldn't explain herself because the world was convinced of the side that Justin had shared. His, like, hip-hop loved this um, narrative and this standpoint of, like, fuck women. Yeah, like, she's a bitch. She's a hoe. Like, she fucked you over, so now fuck her. They loved that narrative and that anger. And then you have, like, even people from, like, metal, rock and roll. Like, there's, there's so many sects of music and and so many types of men that are interested in those genres of music that resonated with Justin's message so they were they were pushing this narrative as far as they could take it there was no convincing that Britney was a, was good because th- there was Too much toxicity in the early 2000s, too. We weren't as woke as we are now, nearly. This was 20 years ago. Um, Women were still seen very much as objects, even worse than today. So I'm not that surprised by this. But anyways, Brittany talks about feeling like nobody was on her side. And she still, to this day, doesn't think that Justin grasps the amount of power that he had over her life. By shaming Brittany, not only shaming her personally and making her feel as if the heartbreak she was going through and the end of their relationship and the image of the future she had of them in her head, the, the destroying of that was her fault. He, he has millions of fans that he also told this narrative to. And this, this narrative got him those interviews with, I think her name was Barbara Walters, you know, got him... Um, His album sold out so she she still to this day believes that Justin either hasn't acknowledged or hasn't come to terms with the power he had in changing the world's opinion of Britney and it's so great that she points this out because men often don't What's seen as a decision on a whim to protect their image is a lifelong pain for the women that they're doing this to. It's a toxic, vicious cycle. Hollywood, Holly weird, Holly, keep me all the way out of it. Keep me out of it. He also minimized the relationship. So on top of telling fans that Britney was the downfall of the relationship, he made it seem like everything they had was purely sexual. When, in fact, they shared a kiss at the Mickey Mouse Club as kids. Like this has been years in the making and years of adoration from Brittany and As you'll see later on in the book, it's one of the first examples of a man who gets fame off, off of her back by exploiting her and then switches up on her. It happens time after time. And actually, apologies, he's the second man because the first man to do this for her and set the tone for her life is her father, Jamie Spears. As soon as he got a taste of her money, her assets, an idea of where this could go, he took control, he changed, even not that he was a good person, but he became even more controlling and entitled to that. Chapter 15 Brittany also talks about this complexity and duality that her record label tried to create. She was pitched as, you know, this eternal virgin and. You know, her teenage fan base thought that she was sensual and edgy um, and, you know, pushing the edges, yet she wouldn't go all the way. And Britney talks about that she didn't want this narrative of her um, out there, you know, that how ridiculous is it that I'm singing the songs that I am and men are leering at me and at that same time they punish me and hold me to the fire before my sexuality. They expect me to remain intact and uh, prim and never touched. It's gross. It's, it's predatory is what it is. Um, but she talks about how in some ways... Justin acknowledging their sexual relationship and that coming out was a little bit freeing because she's never had the ability to say that she wasn't a virgin um, to her fan base. And it was empowering to feel like a woman instead of feeling like the age that she started her career at. Her management team was just so desperate to keep her at. So... Brittany says on page 89, his talking about her having sex never bothered me at all. I've defended him to people who criticized him for doing it. That's so rude, people said about his talking about me sexually, but I liked it. What I heard when he said that is she's a woman. No, she's not a virgin. Shut up. Chapter 15 ends with a powerful quote from Brittany just kind of recapping how she felt like her voice was lost and she felt like she didn't have the ability to speak up and tell her side and also the difference in the way that Justin's interviewed and the questions that she's asked that are accusatory and about her body and kind of just laid out to unsettle her like the whole tone of the interview is to put her in a defensive position or to make her feel as if she doesn't have the upper hand and it's britney motherfucking spears like they're doing this to a star like it it makes no sense to me where we were at back then. But the quote is, There have been so many times when I was scared to speak up because I was afraid somebody would think I was crazy. But I've learned that lesson now the hard way. You have to speak up the things that you're feeling, even if it scares you. You have to tell your story. You have to raise your voice. Your voice. Sorry. <laughs> of course I would ruin the end of that quote. But you have to raise your voice. So good. Chapter 16. So at the start of chapter 16, Justin starts getting out there, dating. He ended up sleeping with six or seven girls in the weeks that follow. And the tabloids obviously are putting it all out there, capitalizing off of Brittany's pain and emotional distress. So... And also furthering that narrative that women suck and to, like, get her back with the revenge of getting with more women. Um, It's crazy how much you need women, yet hate women. The duality of that, Justin. Anyways, chapter 16, Brittany starts to get out there. She has a club promoter friend who she sees and tells her, hey, you should... Try to link up with Colin Farrell. He's shooting a movie right now um, for SWAT, and you should go out there and link up with him. So basically, Britney goes out there and she ends up meeting his whole family. They were so warm to her, and she becomes super attached to him. Um, so, Britney says that for a brief moment in time, she thought that something could be there. But the disappointments in her romantic life just made her feel more isolated. In this chapter, she talks a lot about social anxiety and how it comes and goes. Some days, she describes the way social anxiety works is that what feels like a totally normal conversation to most people, to you feels mortifying. Being around people at all, especially at a party or some other situation with expectations of presenting well for no apparent reason causes surges of embarrassment. I was afraid of being judged or of saying something stupid. When that feeling hits, I want to be alone. I get scared and just want to excuse myself to the bathroom and sneak out. So Brittany goes through this period of time where she goes back and forth between being incredibly social and then extremely isolated. As people who project confidence usually hear, um, people were surprised that someone who seemed so confident and was Britney Spears, you know, could be having these feelings. But she says that her anxiety for her was strange that way. And it just grew and grew for her as the stories of her um, in the news grew. She talks about how humiliating it was to see close friends talk about Justin in a positive way after he had humiliated her, broken up with her, and then been so public in the media um, with other women. And to hear close friends, she mentions Christina Aguilera, you know, saying that they should get back together. It just caused a lot of confusion in Britney's mind, and rightfully so. So she acknowledges that they weren't trying to be cruel, but she was still human trying to move on from this, and it just felt like rubbing salt in the wound to not even have her own friends support her, and we already know that her family didn't. One of the few visitors that Britney allowed during this time of her life, which was I think 2002, 2003-ish, was Madonna. She says that Madonna pretty much empowered her and taught her a lot of things that she knew. Um, They had real conversations, and she was able to talk to Madonna about the confidence issues that she was having and almost like this imposter syndrome. And they ended up collaborating with Britney's favorite song of all time, Me Against the Music, and they ended up sharing the epic kiss. I think it was at the VMAs. So they ended up sharing their epic kiss, and this fueled both of their careers in a mega direction. So it's kind of like Britney getting part of her ammo back, getting back on the right track after a devastating loss. Madonna also taught Britney to get into her power. She noticed by watching Madonna that she was respected because she demanded it. There was no not respecting Madonna and being around. She demanded the utmost respect She demanded that when she was invited to, let's say, perform, that she was the focal point. And not in a a selfish way. This is for Britney, who was being not treated as the star. The whole show wasn't revolving around the star with them saying when to go and acknowledging that everybody's career is fueled by them. Britney's team worked the exact opposite way. They didn't care about Britney. They were Britney Spears for Britney. So shout out to Madonna for teaching Britney that and helping her get in the zone. (laughs) Pun. Because in chapter 17, she talks about her new album, In the Zone, which is where Me Against the Music, the song with Madonna, appeared on. In this chapter, she talks about her home being kind of just like knocked into and her dad walking into the room with three other people and saying... Yeah, so you're going to do an interview with Diane Sawyer. So she describes that interview coming at a time where she felt like she was no longer able to communicate with the world, traumatized, dark cloud over her head, and not in the mental space to do this interview. So even just thinking about the fact that this is her father, it's despicable how often Jamie pushes her to do things against her health and betterment. And yet, he's the conservatorship, he was that he was the head he was making her well-being decisions and he constantly made decisions not for her benefit she talks about the interview being completely humiliating and that the questions were sort of like he's on television saying you broke his heart you did something that caused him so much pain so much suffering what did you do so that accusatory narrative And this is why we're reading hood feminism, by the way. What kind of feminist ideology was that? Slut shaming? Shaming women? God, I'm glad we moved past this. And fuck you, Diane Sawyer. I hope you're a different interviewer now, but fuck you for making her feel so bad and asking questions. So naturally, on this interview, she doesn't want to share anything private with the world. She doesn't owe the media, the details of her breakup, And she shouldn't have been forced to be on national television and cry in front of strangers. She realizes that now, being the adult that she is, grown, all of hindsight being what it is, therapy, but back then, you know, it's just another task that she was forced to do. She talks about this interview being a breaking point for her internally. A switch had been flipped. I felt something dark come over my body. I felt myself turning almost like a werewolf into a bad person. I honestly feel like that moment in my life should have been a time for growing and not sharing everything with the world. It would have been a better way to heal, but I had no choice. It seemed like nobody really cared how I felt. In times where you are grief-stricken, comfort, rest, tuning inwards, like honing in, staying home, being around people who fulfill your energy and don't drain it or have high expectations, that is what we are supposed to do. That is how we are supposed to be treated and treat ourselves, that kindness. And it. when you think about the fact that someone mega- millionaire can't even do that it's like no wonder someone working a desk job can't you know like no wonder all of us struggle with that because even without the resources or even with the resources I should say it's hard to do that she talks lightly and lightheartedly in this chapter about Paris Hilton they go to the casino in Vegas and they just had a good time they acted silly they ran around with I think barefoot or something and and she acknowledges that that's something that could never be done now because it would have been painted and vilified as being like a horrible night out between the two of them or implying that they're on drugs. On Britney's third night in Vegas, her and a childhood friend go to a little white chapel at 3:30 in the morning and get married. And She clarifies, I didn't love him. I was honestly just really drunk and probably, in a more general sense at that time in my life, very bored. Of course, here comes the censorship. Next morning, her whole family flies out to Vegas. What happened last night? What did you do? And Brittany's waking up hungover and just married. Like, what did I do? Did I kill someone? They're like, you got married. Like, as if that... Could potentially be worse than killing someone or anything else that she could have done and they took it very seriously her family's like we need to get this annulled immediately um and made britney feel terrible for having three nights out of normalcy in fact they were so pressed about this that britney started to think huh I didn't really want to be married to him anyways. We kind of just did this because we were drunk and whatever. But since you really won't let me make this own decision in my life, maybe I do want to be married. Like maybe I do want to do this. You can't take away my decision making. If you don't relate to that, I don't know what to say. So she says, in fact, my family was so against the wedding that I started to think maybe I'd accidentally committed a brilliant act because I realized something about being under their control and not having a stronger connection to someone else had become very, very important to them. This is a pivotal part in her life. Chapter 17, that sentence, realizing at that moment that her small night out something that wasn't that big of a deal to her was monumental to them and had to be something fixed and controlled and also the implication that she could not have a partner or a spouse or anyone closer to them whether legally or physically what do I have over you guys I wondered why would someone else be so so huge a threat perhaps it's worth mentioning but at this point I was supporting them financially yes So chapter 18, she talks about this time she is going on tour for one of the darkest times of her life. Um, It also marked a time in her relationship with her brother, Brian. He, at that point, worked as part of her team. This is for the Onyx Hotel tour. And... Basically, Brittany wasn't able to keep track of her brother. She felt like she lost Justin Timberlake, you know, right before they had broken up, split, and then he degraded her in the media. And then during that tour, it felt like her brother was never around, never advocating for her, just simply making money. It seems like Britney was just emotionally not doing well And had hopes of her brother stepping in and intervening and realizing that and having her best interest in heart. But just another family member interested in capital, not paying attention to her. This puts Britney in a vulnerable position, craving affection or security from anybody. And in walk Kevin Federline. All he did at first is just hold Britney in the pool for hours. But having that feeling of being intimate and just having somebody ask her how are you? was something that she hadn't gotten in a long time. She says, How can I explain that I just wanted to be held for an hour by a man in the swimming pool? I feel like a lot of women, and this is definitely true of me, can be as strong as they want, can play this powerful role, but at the end of the day, we've done our work and made our money and taken care of everyone else. We want someone to hold us tight and tell us everything's going to be okay. I know it sounds regressive, I'm sorry, but I think it's a human impulse. We all want to feel alive and sexy, and that's what Kevin did for me, so I held on to him like there was no tomorrow." And it just makes sense, Brittany. It makes so much sense why you clung to these relationships that from the outside, people deemed as red flags. But it makes sense to me as I read through this. So the relationship started out playful. You know, um, he had a bad boy image. And together, she kind of was able to be like unhibited, you know, unhinged, make decisions um, that typically her parents would hate. So, Brittany was basically living in a bubble, seeking security and safety from Kevin, and then eventually she comes to find out that he has a new baby on the way. So, she had no idea. When she asks him about this, he says... Yep, I've got two children. So she had no idea. That spring, 2004, she has to go back to work, make good on those contracts. Brittany, we don't care that you're going through another stressful relationship. We don't care that you're about to be drugged through the media. Make that money. So 2004, she is back on tour. But this time, even though what she learned about Kevin, she brings him. I'm not sure what Kevin said to her to explain, you know, the status of his relationship with the mother of his children. I'm still not sure what it was to this day. But he comes on tour with Brittany, and that's a light for her on this tour. Um, After so many tours of nobody caring about Brittany, um, you know, she was able to bring someone that she knows already cares for her. So... They were flying home from one of the shows, and she said that she asked him to marry her. He said no, and then he proposed to her instead. They filmed their diaries together, and they wanted it to be a documentary. They were planning for it to be like Madonna's Madonna's Truth or Dare. And instead, it kind of became a reality show. So it was released as Britney and Kevin Chaotic. I couldn't even get through the first episode. I'm telling you, I tried to look it up and watch it after reading that in the book. It, it's exploitive, the way that they took the videos and twisted them. It kind of reminded me of Pamela in Tommy's videos just in the sense of you see that love and that playfulness and I don't I I don't believe there's any nudity of course there's the charisma and there's the flirtation between them um but it just reminded me of the chaos between this couple that's rugged and having fun and of course the narrative that's pitched is that they're both um oil and flame that they're bad together chaotic crazy what are they on you know that's kind of how the series landed to me the way that it fell so it sort of distorted her memories in my opinion this tour Brittany's struggling with more and more she says at one point she just wants to break her arm she's tired of being on the tour she just would rather get hurt and have to suffer through the physical therapy she did for her teenagers than um, during her teenage years for her arm than be doing this now Brittany talks about wanting stillness on the road. She obviously doesn't break her arm and she still goes on tour um, and just craving that stillness. Her sister just landed a huge Nickelodeon role, so she was happy seeing her doing her lines and she couldn't help but think that she would have loved to have a job more cozy like that in the world of children's television. She was thinking about the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and remembering how easy everything had seemed back then. She thought Kevin would give her the stability she was craving and a freedom too. So in the fall, they held a surprise ceremony and people shot the ceremony. You can look up pictures. It's when Brit's in her strapless dress, bridesmaids in burgundy. And then after she changed into the epic tracksuit that says "Mister," Mrs. Fetterle- "Mrs.," Federline, sorry y'all um just kind of iconic in reality pop culture I'm gonna be honest but anyways they get married and she learns to say no to things um so as horrible as Kevin ends up ultimately being he did teach her and give her like more pushback and I'm and I'm happy that she at least got that for a little bit Chapter 19 starts, starts out with Brittany being pregnant. She says the two things that she loved about being pregnant was she loved sex and she loved food. Both were amazing through her both of her pregnancies. Other than that, though, not much brought her pressure. pleasure. She was so mean, she said. She said, you didn't want to hear from me for almost two years. I didn't want to be around anyone at all. I was hateful. I didn't want anyone, not even my mom, to come near me. I was a real mama bear, America's sweetheart, and the meanest woman alive. I was protective over Jamie Lynn, too. After she complained to me about a co-star of hers on a TV show, I showed up on the set to have words with the actress. What I must have looked like, hugely pregnant, yelling at a teenage, and I would later learn, innocent girl. Are you spreading rumors about my sister? When I was pregnant, I wanted everyone to stay away, stand back, there's a baby there. So that's referring to the situation with Nicole, and I forget her last name, my apologies, but her co-star from Zoe 101. It's it's interesting, you know, I think that Zoe, not Zoe, I think that Jamie Lynn was clearly in the wrong for what she did I do think that it was bullying but I do want to acknowledge that Jamie Lynn Spears was a teenager raised by toxic parents who didn't give attention freely you had to kind of earn attention from them there was no real parenting so earn it by a Nickelodeon role or you know People can, people can disagree with this all they want. I am not a Jamie Lynn Spears stan by any means, but I want to point out that living in someone's shadow, already hard. Think about basic sibling relationships when you have a star athlete in the family and you're not. That's hard, okay? Magnify that. So teenagers who do things with so much spite to get a reaction and be seen. Am I surprised that teenage Jamie Lynn Spears wanted her sister Britney's attention? Not really. Do I think that Jamie Spears is a good person? No. I think that she's very selfish, raised by selfish parents. I think she is a product of her environment. But I do think that... Holding her to that when there are plenty of articles out there that she has apologized to Nicole, they have spoken, they had presumably made up to just permeate the story that, Britney is, or that Jamie Lynn is still like she was as a teenager. I don't know. She's done other things that make me think that. Okay, her book timing. I'm not going to lie. She's selfish. I don't think she's a good person. But are we really going to judge someone at 13, 14 for forever? Like this family, the whole family, if you got out of there good, it's a miracle. So let's keep going. She's pregnant and she yells it. Jamie Lynn's co-star and then Sean Preston was born September 14th 2005 right away you could tell he was a sweet kind boy then three months later she's pregnant again (sighs) I did not know Britney had Irish twins I did not know that when I read this my first thought is holy hormones holy hormones two years back to back of being pregnant Two years, um, I, I know anything that she did, any decisions she made at that time. You can't just judge them based off of a normal person. Women have this expectation to always truck on and keep things moving, and you have no idea what's happening inside of our bodies. Hormone surges very real, like very real. It's very real. They can make you overreact to things. They can magnify things. Hormones, look it up. Educate yourself, period. Three months later, pregnant again. Irish twins. I cannot believe that I was so, so surprised. So, pregnant with Jaden James and carrying Sean Preston. She was swarmed with photographers and she basically got out of the car. They took a picture of her and it looks like her baby... She's not holding it well. Then starts the narratives of Britney being a bad mom. First it was Britney being a bad girlfriend, Britney being a bad role model. And now naturally the misogyny continues and now she's a bad mother. And she's um, villainized for every single decision and every single way that she looks. The taglines and the headlines read, Britney Spears got huge. Look, she's not wearing makeup. As if those things were some kind of a sin. As if gaining weight was something unkind that I had done to them personally. A betrayal. At what point did I promise to stay 17 for the rest of my life? This feeling of being locked into infancy and childhood and then people wonder why britney mentally has talked about multiple times that she has regressed back to childlike tendencies because she is kept there she is kept there i bet you a lot is true for childhood actors who are um then kept playing those roles for way too long or permeating a certain image um Yes, and also you've taken away all of her free will. Every time she makes a decision, it's chastised. So there goes the autonomy. It makes perfect sense to me that, with the expectation to stay 17, that at some point she feels a little childlike in making her decisions. I'm going to start reading my notes at the end of the chapters just to not spend too much time on each chapter. So in chapter 20, Brittany basically talks about how she gaslights herself when she's mistreated or pushed too hard. She was rooted in southern values to be nice, to be mannered, to be a traditional woman. So when she's doing all of the caregiving and the housework or when she is booked um, you know for too many appearances, for example, this is something that she just tries to take with grace and just be grateful for being there essentially. She talks about in this chapter, Kevin is gone 24-7 doing stuff for his singing, his music career has picked up a little, he's in some stupid fucking commercial that's kind of making fun of him, but yet he's happy to be there, Um, and... She's basically trying to gaslight herself again. And she's like, maybe marriage is having to let each other be selfish sometimes. So right now, he's out there doing his thing, but I'll have my time too. So I'm not going to complain or test the waters. You know, Kevin gave me security and freedom and ability to kind of revolt and rebel when nobody else did. So I'm fine. She went to New York City and Kevin never managed to see her. So she went there to go see him, and he didn't see her. That's at the point where she starts to know that things are going downhill. She started seeing clips or whatever, quotes from Kevin bragging about partying with people, Um, and he was bragging to her also. She was like, I know I got invited here and here. And the people he's mentioning, Brittany's eye-rolling because... She's been around them her whole life. But okay, have fun hanging out with Justin Timberlake, my fucking ex. Or have fun hanging around all of these D-list celebrities or CBA that I've had around for my entire career and I wanted a break from. It's almost like I thought you were different. I thought you were a rock star. Fuck Hollywood. Fuck like, this assimilation together to be normal. Like She thought she was getting one thing. And it was like a package of shit. So the fame and the money starts to get to him. On page 124, she says, But fame, that world isn't real, my friends. It's not real. You go along with it because, of course, it's going to pay the family's bills and everything. But for me, there was an essence of real life missing from it. I think that's why I had my babies. So getting awards and all that fame stuff, I liked it a lot. But there's nothing lasting in it for me. What she loved was a sweat on the floor during rehearsals or playing ball and making a shot. She also says Kevin was so enthralled that the fame, the power again and again in her life, she's seen fame and money ruin people. She saw it happen with Kevin in slow motion and her experience when most people, especially men, get that type of attention, it's all over. They love it too much and it's not good for them. After Britney finally had her second baby and the two years of pregnancy is done, she talks about feeling good about her body. She felt good about herself until the tabloids headlines hit. And of course, they have to bring her down a peg. So they talk about her looking fat. And Britney goes back to being exploited by paparazzis and kind of basing her worth off of what the world sees her as. Outside of the womb, Brittany felt like now her babies were vulnerable and she had an extensive plan to protect them. So... Once the babies were no longer inside of her and she was carrying them, I imagine that that mother bear was magnified even more. They're out in the real world. She can't protect herself from the harshness of paparazzis. How can she protect her children? And I'm sure a sense of anxiety started to creep in. And once again, she felt like she was aging backwards. After having two babies, postpartum depression all of the hormones raging, breakup with Justin Timberlake. She had also had an abortion and hormones from that a few years earlier and trauma from childhood. She feels like a child. In chapter 22. Oh, chapter 22 is short. So chapter 22, she talks about a few months after Jaden became a blur and Felicia came in and out of her life. Felicia is someone that Brittany mentions that was, like, working on her team for her. And I have mixed feelings on Felicia. She hasn't prevented Brittany from doing enough harmful experiences for me to like her or to know if she was really help helping Brittany or not. Um, she talks about being creative and happy in the studio recording for blackout felt like such a freedom working with amazing producers she got to play with a producer named nate hills who recorded under the name danja who was more into dance and edm than pop he introduced me to new sounds and i stretched my voice in different ways Brittany talks about knowing that her music video for Gimme More was tacky and they only spent $3,000 to shoot it. So yeah, even though it was bad, it worked for what it was and it got people to notice her and bring more interesting work. She says her Blackout album was one of the easiest and most satisfying albums that she ever made. Came together really fast and she would go in the studio, be in there for 30 minutes and leave. It's good to hear when she has a good album. And it makes me want to re-listen to all of them and note the differences. So when family life is bad, she notes at the end, it makes everything else feel bad. So meanwhile, Kevin's doing a lot of press. You would have thought he just hit a grand slam in the World Series. I didn't know who he was anymore. Then he was asked to do a Super Bowl commercial. This is the one I talked about earlier. So now he's at the peak of his career. Fame's coming even more. Chapter 23, basically, Brittany's realizing that she's going to have to file for divorce. When she married Kevin, she meant it with all of her heart. And then it ends with her lawyer telling her that if she doesn't file for divorce, Kevin would. What she gathered from this was that Kevin wanted to file for divorce, but he felt guilty doing it. So he knew it would look better if she was the one who filed And later her lawyer said Kevin's going to file regardless, so it doesn't matter um, who files, but if she didn't want to look humiliated, it would be better if she did. So early 2006, she filed papers, and her and Kevin both asked for custody of the boys. She talks about the end of this chapter. That's one thing Justin and Kevin ruined about me. I used to trust people, but after the breakup with Justin and then my divorce, I never trusted people again. This narrative that Brittany was manipulative was pushed, but really she felt like she was just stupid. So shortly after filing, Brittany talks about in the next chapter, chapter 25, suffering from postpartum depression being isolated from her friends, and having zero ability to make mistakes as a new mom. I've seen moms get trolled and destroyed for posting a cute photo of their kid in the backseat of the car and people going in on them for the seatbelt. I cannot imagine the patrolling going on of other moms just to make moms feel bad And quit, because half of the time you're doing this, it's not for the safety of the child. It's promoting and pushing a capitalistic agenda of more expensive qualities and products. (laughs) That's my rant on that, and I'm not even a mom. Brittany talks about how Kevin made a case in court for Brittany being crazy and to not let her see the kids at all. Alongside with that, with the ultimate betrayal from Kevin switching it up and saying, yeah, no, you can't see your own kids either, her Aunt Sandra died in 2007 from ovarian cancer. Just overall, a really hard year for Brittany. So chapter 26 Brittany's children were taken from her she lost it over and over again I didn't know how to take care of myself because of the divorce I'd have to move out of the home and I was living in a random English style cottage in Beverly Hills the paparazzi were circling extra excitedly now like sharks when there's blood in the water when I first shaved my head it felt almost religious I was living on a level of pure being For when I wanted to go out into the world, I bought seven wigs, all short bobs. But if I couldn't see my sons, I didn't want to see anybody. A few days after I shaved my head, my cousin Allie drove me back to Kevin's. So this is the time where she thought no paparazzi were going to be there. And instead, the paparazzi were there. And basically... Britney freaks out. <laughs> this is this is the moment when Britney's had it. She's shaved her head, she's desperate. She has all of these traumas in her life, and I don't blame her for this at all. I would do the exact same thing. So paparazzi's photographing her relentlessly, jeering at her, trying to get a reaction, saying spiteful things, and she grabs whatever's in sight, which was a green umbrella, and she hits their car with it. This made for probably a million-dollar photo that was sold and just furthered Britney's humiliation. She was supposed to go over there to talk to Kevin privately. Nobody was supposed to be there. She's desperate, begging to see her children, and that's the moment that she's being photographed. I, I can't even believe it. She says, now my husband Hassam tells me that it's a whole thing for beautiful girls to shave their head. It's a vibe, he says. A choice not to play into the ideas of conventional beauty. He tries to make me feel better about it because he feels bad about how much it still pains me. Women's pain is not for your joy. It's not, and the world treats it like we are. I can see men watching even reality shows where a girl is sobbing and laughing at her. Fuck you. A woman's pain is not for your joy. It is not. In chapter 27, Brittany talks about... Feeling like her mom wouldn't even look at her, she says, "My mom wouldn't look at me because I was ugly." Now it, it just proved that the world only cares about your physical appearance, even if you are suffering and at your lowest point. That winter, I'd been told it would help me to get custody back if I went to rehab, and so even though I felt like I had more of a problem with rage and grief than substance abuse, I went. When I arrived, my father was there. He sat across from me and said, "You are a disgrace." I think back now and say, why didn't I call Big Rob to, to help me? But I was so ashamed and embarrassed that my dad was telling me I was a disgrace. It was the definition of beating a dead horse. He was treating me like a dog, an ugly dog. I had nobody. I was alone. I guess one positive of rehab was that I started the healing process. When I got out, I was able to get temporary 50-50 custody through a great attorney who helped me, but the battle kept raging with Kevin, and it was eating me alive, fuck Kevin Federline bro he is the worst to to get a taste of fame switch up that hard and then try to get soul custody he was publicly doing drugs and drinking like he is an unfit parent but that's the misogyny for you like oh let's back what Justin did let's get Britney one more time and her father I mean it when I said I thought he was dead when I bought this book. I thought he was dead and removed from her life. I wish you the worst, Jamie Spears. your are Britney's father. I wish him the absolute fucking worst. Horrible human being. Horrible human being. After just getting out of rehab, Britney goes ahead and does a VMA performance for Gimme More because, like I said, her family's relentless. Her managers are relentless. And there she sees Justin sick. I... I'm having the worst fucking period, time of my life, and now I see you. And he, she says that he was at the top of his game every way, all this swagger. And Brittany knew she hadn't rehearsed enough. She hated the way she looked. Tabloids had already been chastising her body, calling her fat, and she just did not want to do this performance. She's not going to defend it and say it's good. We all have bad nights, but usually not so extreme. Because what followed was everybody roasting her. And not in a nice way. Sarah Silverman came out to roast me. She said at the age of 25, I'd done everything worthwhile in my life I'd ever do. She called my two babies the most adorable mistakes you'll ever see. Not funny. Am I like an old hag? Comedians sometimes aren't funny at fucking all. Oh, it's just there are it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. You basically just called those children bastards. Like you basically have labeled those children as mistakes. And as somebody who by like my 5th grade teacher told me that I was a mistake and that I was an accident and did I realize that my chi- that my parents had me by mistake when I had to do my family tree and say my parents' age. That's a horrible feeling to have as a child. So I'm saying that for the children. Fuck you, Sarah Silverman. That is horrible. Chapter 27 ends with her talking about she was supposed to do an interview with Ryan Seacrest to talk about her album and instead said, do you feel like you're doing everything you can for your kids? How often will you see them? The whole world just wanted to rip Britney apart and whether she was a fit mother. Even though news that, you know, um, her, coi- her court-appointed parenting coach that came in to watch her said that there was nothing at all in her home that could be called abuse. But that's not what's going to make the headlines. In chapter 28, Brittany's former bodyguard quits for her and then goes and works for Kevin. What the fuck? So now he's working for Kevin, and he picked up Brittany's kids, and Britney's now like, what? You used to used to work for me and this sends her into a panic she's you know unstable as I would be as anybody would be at her point in life and she feels like she's never going to see her kids again so she takes baby Jaden when the bodyguard shows up to pick up the kids and take them to Kevin's and she hides in the bathroom she's holding him and just has the door locked and within moments the SWAT team is there, Brittany's strapped to a gurney, and she's taken to the hospital. What the fuck? What the fuck? She needed her family to have her back, and instead she says, I began to suspect that they were secretly celebrating I was having the worst time of my life. But surely that but it couldn't be the case. Surely I was paranoid, right? And she said that she found out around the holidays um, that Jamie Lynn was pregnant from the tabloids and that she felt like she was trying to be kept from the world so much so that she had to have burner phones just to keep talking to the outside world without them knowing. In chapter 29, Brittany starts dating that paparazzi photographer. And this is in winter of 08. And basically, she felt like she was able to be free with him. He let her rebel. He let her... do things that she wasn't allowed to do without scrutiny. And when they had gotten together, she felt like he was one of the paparazzi who truly had her back and was keeping an eye on her for protection, versus exploiting her. So she gets into this relationship thinking it's fun, and they can do donuts in the parking lot, and you know, um, just do crazy things together, live life on the edge. And Britney's parents are not fucking having it. They don't want her with someone like that. So what happens? The claws start to come in as they see her getting close with someone and they come over to the house. They essentially set Brittany up and like that's the only way to describe it. My mom called me one day and said, Brittany, we feel like there's something going on. We hear the cops are after you. Let's go to the beach house. The cops are after me, I said. For what? I hadn't done anything illegal. Just come to the house, she said. We want to talk to you. My mother was acting suspicious. When we got there, the photographer said, something's up, right? Yeah, I said. Something's really off. All of a sudden, there were helicopters going around the home. Is that for me? I asked my mom. Is this a joke? It wasn't a joke. Suddenly there was a SWAT team of what seemed like 20 cops in my house. What the fuck did I do? I kept shouting. I didn't do anything. I know I had been acting wild, but there was nothing I'd done to justify them treating me like I was a bankruptor. Nothing that justified upending my entire life. I'd later come to believe that something changed that month. Since the last time I was brought to the hospital for evaluation, my father had struck up a very close friendship with Louise or Lou Taylor, who he worshipped. She was front and center during the implementation of the conservatorship. (sighs) So in walks the conservatorship. I was making a lot of people, a lot of money, especially my father, who I found out took a bigger salary than he paid me. He paid himself more than $6 million while paying others close to him tens of millions more. So her dad was able to establish the conservatorship and under two things. He got control of her as a person and he got control of her estate, which means that not only does he make every decision, every medical decision, um... He also controls everything she spends, her allowance, where her money goes, what she's allowed to spend money on, who she's allowed to see. Brittany even has to fucking write out at what point she pees. She says that she was forced to pay upwards of $500,000 a year to her court-appointed lawyer that she wasn't allowed to replace. And this is just to find out that later on, that lawyer she was given, she could have replaced it any time to have someone who would actually advocate for her. But those are the more lies that her family and the people they paid heaped on to Brittany. She said that she was convinced it was all planned. Her dad, her mom, Lou Taylor, all involved. It's so crazy what people will do for money. It's so crazy that people would hold her with no free will for money. Fuck Lou Taylor. Fuck you, Lou Taylor. And then she has to pay for her own lawyer to keep her imprisoned, essentially. Like, this person is keeping you without your rights, and it's coming out of Britney's pocket. It's just so egregious. Chapter 30, Brit's mom wrote a memoir exploiting her trauma and mistakes of course she did yay because everybody in britney's life loves to fucking exploit her so britney's mom talked about the mistakes of pretty much all three of her children and used that to say like look where we are now the haughtiness so they talked about britney's 16 year old sister being pregnant they talked about britney shaving her head they talked about brian Who's who's like what? What what quirked What critique did he? He's all over the place. Oh wow, poor Brian. No, Brian being the man of the family got off the best, and he's doing worse shit than anybody, worse shit than anybody. So basically, Brittany's feeling all the pressure. She doesn't have her babies. She doesn't have her parents' support. She's divorced. She's going through postpartum depression, she's been through rehab that she didn't need to go to, she's been picked up by the SWAT team, hospitalized, and now she feels mentally like a kid, she says. However, that doesn't matter, because you know what she was well enough to still be doing is working full time. So she's sick enough that she can't make her own decisions, she's got to write down when she pees, but She can be poised, professional, on time, memorize lines, competent, capable, use discretion and tone and act. Give me a fucking break. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. So chapter 31, she gets booked for How I Met Your Mother to do a couple of episodes. And I think they also book like X Factor for her. So... She's working for her parents and at that time she realizes that her finances are being controlled and she tries to do what she's been doing her whole life which is not rock the boat number one and two she has a receipt bowl where every time she spends she keeps track of what she has spent because she was aware of how much money she was making and you know trying to keep track of that and I think her father just basically steals all of her like steals her entire bowl he shoved her bowl of receipts aside and said i just want you to know i call the shots you sit right there and i'll tell you what goes on i'm britney spears now he said so her father is officially a fucking dictator psycho and he has decided that she will do the appearances that they book for her whether it's project x not that x factor or how I met your mother, or I don't know, hosting an award show, and she will shut the fuck up and do them with kindness and not complain. That's pretty much what he said. I mean, can you think of somebody like I think this is one of the worst men in the world. Worst. The control continues in chapter thirty-two. Um, not a, not only do they want to control. You know, Brittany's team, who she has working for her, when she pees, who she hangs out with, who she's in contact with. But now they start vetting her partner's. And her dad does this with the full intention of keeping people away. He asks questions that are uncomfortable, awkward, tells them information. You wouldn't disclose to a partner right away until you're serious. And he just starts off with that. He's like, well, let's see. Let's see if I can ruin this right away. So he screens Britney's potential partners um, and makes them sign an NDA right away, gives them a blood test has to ask them their sexual history, tells them Brittany's sexual history. Imagine your father discussing your sexual history. I I hate him so fucking much. I really, really hate him. So his goal is to keep everybody distant. She said in chapter 17, I think, um, that she realized from that marriage to a childhood friend in Vegas that her parents' biggest, biggest priority is keeping people away from her. And she was finally starting to realize how the lengths they would go through to do that. So Brittany says for 13 years, her family lied and hid that she could have gotten her own lawyer. Her circus tour allotted her to bring her kids and so she went along with it. Here's another tour I'll do for you guys. All while being, they they claim mentally insane. And she grosses them $130 million plus for that tour alone. Just exploiting her, making all the money off of her. It's crazy. In chapter 33, Brittany talks openly about how she was able to maintain any sense of hope during this conservatorship. And for that... It was her sons. She had a fire inside of her burning to see her sons. She says that she has compassion for women. For the woman I was before I was put into the conservatorship, when I was recording Blackout. And then she talks about rebellion. I was rebelling, yes, but I can see now there's a reason why people go through rebellious times. And you have to let people go through them. I'm not saying that I was right to spiral, but I think to hinder someone's spirit to that degree, to put them down that much to the point where they no longer feel like themselves, it's not healthy. We as people have to test the world. You have to test your boundaries to find out who you are, how you want to live. Other people and by other people, I mean men, were afforded that freedom. Yes, Brittany. Yes, Brittany. When Justin cheated on me and then acted sexy, it was cute, but when I wore a sparkly bodysuit, I had Diane Sawyer making me cry on national television, MTV making me listen to people criticizing my costume, and a governor's wife saying she wanted to shoot me. If I had thought getting criticized about my body and the press was bad, it hurt even more from my own father. He repeatedly told me that I looked fat, that I was going to have to do something about it, so every day I would put on my sweats and I would go to the gym. Feeling like you're never good enough is a soul-crushing state of being for a child. He drummed that message into me as a girl even after I'd accomplished so much he was continuing to do that to me. She talks about becoming a robot but a sort of child robot so infantilized that she was losing pieces of what made her feel like herself. Anything her father or mother told her to do, she would reject. My pride as a woman wouldn't let me take it seriously. The conservatorship stripped me of my womanhood, made me into a child. I became more of an entity than a person on stage. I had always felt music in my bones and my blood, and they stole that from me. I sometimes thought it was funny how I won those awards for the album I made while I was supposedly so incapacitated that I had to be controlled by my family. The truth was, when I stopped to think about it for long, it wasn't very funny at all. Powerful. Powerful. Her family brings her down worse than anybody, any tabloid, any paparazzi could have. No support. No support. In 2010, her parents get back together, spend eight years after their divorce, and they've decided, you know what? You're actually the head of the household, babe. You've been controlling Britney's finances so well. I want you back. So showing even further the type of woman that her mother is transparently, a user and leeching off of Britney. So in 2012, that's when she judges X Factor. I talked about that earlier. And she also did tours. On her tours that her parents made her do, they were strictly sober. So any party that Britney was showing up to, they took away the alcohol. Um, and nobody could really start the party until after Britney left. In some ways, they turned me into a teenager again. In other ways, I was a girl. She says there was no way to behave like an adult since they wouldn't treat me like an adult. So I would regress and act like a little girl, but then my adult self would step back in. Only my world didn't allow me to be an adult. The woman in me was pushed down for a long time. They wanted me to be wild on stage the way they told me to be and to be a robot the rest of the time. And isn't that the duality of being a woman? Be wild and carefree at this time. And at this time, present yourself as poised and pure. Shut the fuck up. So I'm honestly going to skip the last five chapters. I would say to you that if you've loved this book review, to read the rest of the book. If you are begging to hear it, I will record the last... I'm on, I made it to chapter 35. There's 13 chapters left. If you are begging to hear the last of it, I have decided that I'm going to do these episodes in the future on Patreon. It's so much work to do book episodes. There's no way to keep in communication and like have a group chat or to have like a place to all comment on the books as we read them or to give feedback and all collectively chat together. So I'm going to use my Patreon. I do hope that if you can, if you want to, if you're in in the book club, you'll sign up. I'm going to do all of my book club episodes exclusively on Patreon for the future. I think I'm going to make subscription like $2 a month, something super minimal. Nothing more than you would pay for a streaming service. If you're unable to do that, I completely, completely understand. But I got to compensate myself a little bit for time-consuming projects. And this is one of them. The book club stuff is a lot. So if you want to hear my thoughts, sign up for my Patreon. This episode will be on regular Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And in the future, episodes will be on Patreon. I'll put the link somewhere for you guys probably on Instagram it is in my link tree Um, but I'll put the link somewhere so that you guys can find my Patreon easily and access it but sign up to Patreon we can have book club I want every time I do a book there's comments open so we can have dialogue about the book as we read and I think I'm going to actually do episodes as i read instead of at the end like i chose to do with britney because that's what's making this hard is doing a whole book over again so i'm going to do them in increments as i read starting with every last secret i hope that you guys are for this i hope that you guys understand and that you still support me i love each and every one of you go get britney's book fuck misogyny fuck the patriarchy Fuck Kevin Federline and Justin Timberlake and Jamie Spears and her mama. All of them. All of them. Okay? Don't stunt women's growth. Don't put us in a box. We're tired of it love every single one of you listening if you're new here welcome my recaps are frequent they are often I try to do them consistently right after everything's put out so follow subscribe leave a review if you're new here and if you enjoyed the podcast uh, rate it five stars if you loved it if you love me (laughs) and then I'll see you guys for my next episode